Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. It is always good to see you and always great to be back at Timberlake. I appreciate the friendliness of this church. In fact, during uh, the greeting time, for lack of a better word, a few moments ago, it's just fun to see how uh, everybody engages and high-fives each other. And I just thought it would be wise of me to caution you to not invest too deeply in the friendships of people around you because it's apparent they do not have a lake house or they would be there this weekend. All right, look for the people who are missing and say, all right, those are the people that I'm going to befriend when they get back. Uh, Guys, fun to be here. Two weeks in a row, we're in this series, Open Mic. I'm going to get a little bit off script today and do something we don't normally do at Timberlake, and that is I'm going to give you a biblical foundation for who to vote for in the coming election. No, I'm totally messing with you. I'm not going to do that. Uh, But you can tell Pastor Ben that that's exactly what I did. Uh, We're actually going to continue this series on the power of words. And we're going to build off a theme verse that we kicked off the series with last week. Here it is out of Proverbs chapter 18. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. For the good or bad, those who love to talk are going to reap the consequences. Your words and my words have the potential to bring life. They have the potential to encourage, to uplift, to strengthen, to empower But they also have the potential to bring death. The death of a friendship, the death of creativity, the death of someone's potential. And so we need to be careful on the words that we use because our words matter. Now back in 2008, there was a musician by the name of Dave Carroll. And he was sitting on a United Airlines flight. It was at the gate. He was looking outside the window. And he was noticing that the baggage handlers were being totally careless with the baggage. And they were just tossing things around and noticed that uh, they were actually tossing guitar cases along with everything else around just carelessly. Well, he had a little panic attack because his $3,500 Taylor guitar was uh, part of the luggage. And sure enough, when he gets to baggage claim and he opens his guitar, he saw that it was damaged, about $1,200 in damage. And so he went and got it fixed and then spent the next nine months contacting United Airlines, emailing them, giving them phone call after phone call, saying, hey, let's just make this right. Come on, just pay for the damage. And they said, in no uncertain terms, we are not paying for the damage. And so Dave felt kind of hopeless. He didn't know what he was going to do. And so he did what he knew best. He just decided to be creative, write a song about it, and to call it United Breaks Guitars. Now, I don't have time to show you the entire video, but I will show you 90 seconds of it. He uploaded this to YouTube a few years ago. Check this out. I flew United Airlines on my way to Nebraska. The plane departed Halifax, connecting in Chicago's O'Hare. While on the ground, a passenger said from the seat behind me, My God, they're throwing guitars out there. The band and I exchanged a look, 
best described as terror at the action on the tarmac and knowing whose projectiles these would be. So before I left Chicago, I alerted three employees who showed complete indifference towards me. Yeah, so United Breaks Guitars. Well, in a couple of days, this video became a viral sensation, a million and a half hits. And as you can imagine, United Airlines now calls Dave. And they say, we want to make things right. And so they actually offered him more money than he was initially asking for because they knew that words have power and that words make a difference and they want to protect their image. Now, here's the deal. We know the same thing. We know that our words have power. We know that words can bring death or life. But it's one of the greatest struggles we have as human beings to try to be disciplined in the words we use, to try to be proactive in speaking life-giving words. And part of the reason that it's so challenging is we are surrounded every single day with difficulty and challenges and chaos in our world. And so consequently, what happens, Jesus taught that out of our heart, out of what's happening inside of us, the mouth speaks. And so it's easy to speak words that express defeat or anger or hopelessness. Just a few weeks ago, Sunday, July 12th, our entire nation was shocked to learn that 49 human beings had been killed at a nightclub in Orlando. And of course, what ended up being the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. I live about an hour north of Chicago. This year in Chicago alone, we've had over 300 people killed. Father's Day weekend, 13 people shot and killed just over the weekend. I went on Como News last night and just started looking at some of the stories that's, that are unfolding in the Seattle area. And sure enough, stories of murder, stories of death. Stories of defeat, stories that lack ethics or morals. And so it's very easy to, in our world, look around and say, man, things feel very, very hopeless. I've been pastoring a church that I started uh, seven years ago in Wisconsin. And just this last week, it feels almost like a repeat of many other weeks that we have. But just in the last week, we had a, a lady whose husband's been battling Alzheimer's. He dies unexpectedly. And so I show up to his funeral and, and, and I sit through it. And then as I leave that funeral, I shared last week that I receive a call from a staff member. We get in a conversation. I learned that another family in our church just lost their 33-year-old son unexpectedly. It's the same week that another family has their adult daughter receiving bone marrow transplant for leukemia. And then, of course, the marriage stuff, the financial stuff, the mental health stuff. And, and of course, Timberlake deals with all this stuff, too. It's very, very easy to feel overwhelmed. And so I want to talk today about a tension that every single one of us have faced in life, are facing, 
or will face as it relates to trying to maintain hope in a world that feels hopelessly broken. We've all had the tension. If you've ever stood at an altar and exchanged vows and said, till death do us part, but then he or she kind of decided, well, it was going to be until someone else came along or it was going to be until they got bored in the marriage or until things got too difficult. You know the tension of trying to maintain hope in a world that seems hopelessly broken. If you were ever promised a job or an advancement or something in your career and you did your part, but they didn't do their part. Or if you have a child that you put lots of energy and time and money into because they were so athletic, but they never got the scholarships and, and colleges seem to just overlook them and not notice the same things you noticed as a parent. You know what it's like to feel hopeless at times. Or if you had a child that was moving forward and things, they were accomplishing great things, but then they got caught up with the wrong crowd or maybe started dating the wrong person and you want to give them their high school years back or their college years and you just can't do it. You know what it's like to try to maintain hope in a world that is hopelessly broken. Or maybe it's with the church. Maybe at one point in your life you put hope or trust in a, in, in a leader or in a pastor or in a group of friends that you met in a faith community, but then you were left disillusioned, then you were left hurt. You know what it's like to try to maintain hope in a world that feels hopelessly broken. Now, I'm sure you're aware of it, but this is just the reality of life. There will be days and weeks and months, even seasons, in which our life seems to be falling apart. Now, just to make sure that we are all on the same page, I want to define the word hope for us. Because hope's one of those words that just means a couple different things. Right? Hope can mean desire or dream or wish. So we could say, well, I hope that next year our family goes on a cruise for our vacation. Or I hope that the Seahawks go to the Super Bowl and end up winning it in the upcoming season. Right? Or like for me, as a guest speaker, I hope that Timberlake Church realizes it was my birthday a couple days ago and that I'm still open to taking gifts. Right? We all have hopes and dreams and wishes. But hope has another definition, and that's the one I want to zero in on. Here it is. Hope is the person or thing in which our expectations are centered. Hope is that person or thing that we lean into as a source of stability, whether it's a relationship or it is a career or it is a financial situation. Every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, are placing our hope and our expectations in someone or something. In many ways, hope's like a ladder that is leaning against a wall. And we're standing on the ladder or we're climbing the ladder, hoping that it holds. And so when we're born, again, it's not even something we think about consciously, that wall is our parents. We're leaning into our parents for our future. We're leaning into them, how they treat us, what they teach us, the opportunities they give us, right? All of our life seems to be dependent on our parents. And then we become teenagers and we kind of put the ladder of hope against ourselves and our talents and our ability to connect and, and, and our personality. And then maybe we get into a relationship. And so, again, we don't think about it, but we just place our hope and our future and our expectations in that person we're in a relationship with or in a career. And that's where we find our stability. And so every single one of us from time to time are going to place our hope against different walls. We're going to lean into different things as a source to support our ambitions or our aspirations for the future. 
So right now, every one of us are leaning our ladder of hope somewhere. And we do not think about it until we feel hopeless. And when we lose out on hope, that's when we say, man, I guess I've been leaning my ladder against the wrong wall. And so what do you do when the ladder you've been standing on collapses from underneath you? What do you do do when it's like this desire that you've had in your heart for a very, very long time since you were in your early teens to have a family and you want a biological family, but now the doctor's told you you're going to be unable to have kids biologically. Or what do you do when you thought, man, I'm going to be married in my early 20s. I'm kind of a romancer at heart. I'm Mr. Romeo or Juliet. I'm looking. And now you're in your early 40s and you just haven't found that right person. Or you thought you were going to retire in your early 60s. And you had saved and put aside, but then the economy changed. What do you do when you realize the ladder I've been climbing isn't holding anymore? How do I keep moving on? And and so this is what I want to address today. And, And my hope and my goal for you as an individual, but collectively for Timberlake Church, is that you would, uh, you would be able to get to the point, I would be able to get to the point where we could say with confidence and assurance, I have learned how to put my hope in God, which is a very abstract concept. It, 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 it's a challenge to wrap our mind around that, and so I'm going to do my best to simplify what that means for you. But I'd love for us to get to the point where David, who was the second king of Israel, got when he wrote these words in his journal. He says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. And then he goes from making this statement to really praying a prayer. He says, let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. I think it'd be incredible for us to get to that point where our prayer would be like, let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, because our hope is in you alone. That's possible, but as Americans, it's not real probable. It's not real probable because from the moment we're born, we're told like, hey, it's all about the education or about the people you know or about how you could save money. Stay away from drugs and alcohol. Marry the right person and your ladder is going to hold. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we, we know that God is really supposed to be our source of hope. So what we do is we put our ladder wherever we want to put it. And then we say, God, I need you to get involved. Right? Hey, God, I need you to bless the mutual fund. God, I need this house to sell in two days. And I need to make a lot of money on it. God, I need you to put my name on her heart so she'll call me this afternoon. I need you to put a void inside of her that feels like something's missing and I'm that person. Right? So we put our ladder where we want to and then we say, God, get involved. Now, I just want to be clear. I think this is a given, but I'm going to say it anyways. God's given you talents and abilities and passions and desires and dreams. Use them. Capitalize on them. Invest them. God is not against us accomplishing or accumulating or achieving things in this life. But do not put your hope in those things. Now to help us understand a little bit about this concept of hope, what I want to do today is look at a section of verses that were originally written to followers of Jesus living in Rome by an early church leader named Paul. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, these verses are challenging. All right? They're confusing And so if you're confused today, it is not your fault. Unless you've recently been taking advantage of some of the newer laws here in the state of Washington. All right? They're confusing. He's he's a sharp guy, but there's some confusing verses. He starts out this section of verses, Romans 8, by referencing something called sin. 
and how it entered our world. Now, you might not like the concept of sin or maybe even agree with the word, but I think all of us can agree that there is evil in our world. There is something messed up in our society. The Bible calls that sin. And so I feel totally comfortable myself using that word. But when I use it, most of us probably picture like sin is a behavior or an action that is disrespectful to God or goes against what God wants. And I suppose that's true to an extent. You know, people will say to me from time to time throughout the year at the church I pastor, hey, hey Dave, you know, I just want to ask you, is this a sin? Basically, can you give me permission, please, to do this? I, and I get that, but really sin's much more than an action or behavior. Sin's like this disease that's kind of infiltrated all of humanity. It's fatal and it's toxic. All of creation's been impacted. The animal kingdom, weather, health, everything has been impacted by sin. It's the reason why every living thing eventually dies. We call it the circle of life, and we're kind of lighthearted about it. We put songs together, but we know not everything in this world is hakuna matata. Not everything in this world operates the way it should. And so Jesus and the early church leader says the reason that is is because of sin. Society has been affected. And so Paul begins to lay out an argument for the hope we can have in the midst of a society in a world that often feels hopeless. And I think you've realized it by now. This isn't one of those talks that we're just going to laugh the whole time. And this isn't one of those talks where we got a big smile or we feel emotionally satisfied. But it's one of these talks that we need to hear on a regular basis. Because it's a reminder of where to put our hope and how to put it there. Halfway through Romans chapter 8, Paul gets into his thoughts. He says, against its will... All creation was subjected to God's curse. Lots of translations say all of creation was subjected to frustration. In other words, when you get frustrated in the marriage or with your parenting or with things that are unfolding in work or with society in general, that frustration is the result of how this world's been affected by sin. Paul continues. He says, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So Paul says, I acknowledge our world is in decay. And you know this. Because all you have to do is look into the mirror. And you will see decay. And if you say, Mom, I'm looking pretty good. I don't, then look at Pastor Ben. <laughs> he is your living proof of decay, right? All of creation's in decay. Our health is in decay. Our memories are in decay. Our relationships in decay. And we look at all of this and it frustrates us and we say, what is going on? And Paul says, newsflash, it's because sin has corrupted our world. Everything's decaying. And as Americans, we advertise and advertise and advertise that there are ways to fight the decay. But Paul would say, no, you can't fight it because it's not about education. It's not about who you marry. It's not about where you go. Everything is going to decay. And he says, I've gotten good news coming, but before the good news, you've got to embrace the bad news. And that's everything decays. That doesn't mean you won't have good times in life. Yeah, you're going to have great times. In life. You're going to have happy birthdays. You're going to have uh, great engagement stories. You're going to have amazing weddings. You could have great honeymoons. You could even refer to your marriage after 50 years. as It's been a relatively happy marriage. You can look at your kids and you can say, man, I'm proud of two of them. Right? You, you can have mountaintop moments. But the reason life does not stay at the top of a mountain, 
is because there's constantly this gravitation towards sin and decay. That's where the momentum is moving. And so in the next couple of verses, and I'll just summarize here, Paul says the frustration that you and I feel, this tension that we have about not everything is supposed to be like this, he says that leads us to actually believe there's something greater in this world than what we can see. It leads us to say, hey, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be a place where people don't die. There's got to be a place where relationships are healthy and people get along. And he explains where that kind of thinking and that kind of hope comes from. Here's what he writes. He says, we were given this hope when we were saved. In other words, when you decided to follow Jesus, God placed inside of you this anticipation You are linked to a bigger and a better story that doesn't end with your last breath. And then he adds this thought. He says, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. In other words, when your world falls apart, when the ladder you've been standing on collapses from underneath you, you don't need to give up hope. You need to be patient, you need to be faithful, and you need to persevere. Here's why. Life is filled with battles. Life's filled with challenges. It's filled with difficulties. But we can have hope because we know that there is more to the story. We can have hope because we know there's more to the story. Paul says in his writing, he says, listen, God sees what you're going through. He knows your frustration. He knows what it's like to feel disillusioned because you've been standing on a ladder and now it collapses. He knows what it's like for you to lay in bed at night, tossing and turning, saying, I feel like life is pointless. He knows that sense of hopelessness. But then Paul writes this. He kind of just makes a quick twist. And he he asks us a question, and it's a brilliant question. Here's what he asks. He says, but if God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God's for us, this is where if there's music in the background, it starts to build and build and build. And no, I'm not going to go into a dance today right? It's just building and there's anticipation and excitement. And then he writes this, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You feel hopeless. You're going through a challenging time. You're walking through a divorce. You're looking at your child and you're saying, man, they're on the wrong path. You're looking at your financial situation. You're looking at your job loss. Paul says, listen, if you want to put your hope in something that is stable, you have got to place it in God. Now, That is an obscure thought. That's abstract. How do you put your hope in God? What does that even look like? Well, practically speaking, it simply means this. That when I become aware of what God wants me to do, I'm going to choose his way over my way. I'm going to choose his way over culture. I'm going to choose his way over what I've always believed internally. I'm going to choose his way over my way. So when I become aware of how God wants me to treat that person, even if I don't feel like it, I choose his way over my way. When when I become aware of how God wants me to serve others, I choose his way over my way. Even if I don't feel like serving them. 
So I love and I love and I love and I serve and I serve and I serve. And even if I'm not loved and served in return, I keep doing it. Why? Because my hope isn't in anybody else. It's in God. When somebody has hurt me deeply and I learn that I need to forgive others as Christ has forgiven me, I start the long and painful and difficult journey of forgiveness, even though they don't deserve it. And even if they couldn't care less whether I forgive them. Because my hope is not in them. My hope is in the Lord. And so to place our trust in God means we continually and regularly remind ourselves of the character and nature of God. We continually open our hearts to what is he trying to speak to me. And then whether we learn that through a talk or through reading the scriptures, when we become aware God wants us to do, we move in that direction. Now I've already said this, but it's impossible at times to know where our ladder is leading. I mean, there are times that we, we think it's leaning in one area and then, you know, we think it's leaning against God, but then something happens and we're like, man, now I feel hopeless again. But if you want to begin to gauge, if you want to kind of a, a little litmus test of where your hope is, just start listening to the way you speak, right? Because ultimately, the words we speak reveal where our hope is based. Ultimately, the words we speak reveal where our hope is based. Our words matter. When your hope is really placed in God, here's what happens at the end of a great day. I mean, it is great. You won the scratch-off lottery ticket. Woohoo! Right? You ate a bunch of cheesecake, and then you stepped on the scale, and you actually lost five pounds. <laughs> Everything was going good. The birds stayed away from your car. I mean, it is a great day. Placing our hope in God means we lay in bed at night, and we say, God, today was amazing. It was great, and I thank you. And here's the deal. I place my hope in you. I still trust you. I still follow you. Even though my life's going good, I, I'm, I'm choosing still to follow you. But it also means when we've had a horrible day and nobody called us back and we're still without a job and we're trying to figure out how we're going to pay the bills, that we say, God, I'm disappointed. I feel defeated. I feel like my life is falling apart, but I still place my hope and my trust in you. 600 years before Jesus was born, many of the young and talented and educated Jewish young men were marched off from Jerusalem to Babylon. In, in Jewish history, it's known as the exile. It's a big part of their history. Three of the men who were marched off are very, very famous uh, because their story is recorded in scripture, specifically the book of Daniel. Their name is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the reason they became well-known is because King Nebuchadnezzar, the big bad wolf of Babylon, he had a huge statue made, an idol made, and said, hey, when music's played, whether you're Jewish or from the Babylonian empire, he says, you need to bow down to the statue. And so everybody would do it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to. And they said, we're not going to bow. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, so offended, said, all right, here's the deal. If you refuse to bow and you refuse to show the respect to me that I demand, he says, you're going to be thrown into a furnace of fire. And their response is so brilliant because it reveals where their hope is based. Here's, here's what they said. They said, our God is able to save us, king. Our God is going to rescue us. But here's the deal. Even if he doesn't, we're still going to follow him. That's awesome. Now, I love it because it comes across so confident initially, right? Our God is going to save us. He's able to rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to follow him. That's hope. Hope is saying, hey, listen, I've been given a horrible diagnosis. My God is able to heal me. But even if he doesn't, I still follow him. 
couple weeks ago, some guy at the church, I passed her, high-fived me, and they said, Dave, they said, I sold my house the same day I listed it for full asking price. God is so good. I said, and if you wouldn't have sold it, God's still good. Our situations in life don't affect who God is. So we've got to continually put our confidence in his nature and in his character. A couple weeks ago, a young lady by the name of Rebecca uh, made this her Facebook post. She said, everybody, please read. I need a favor. It's for my cousin Haley. First off, she's a beautiful young woman, both inside and out. She's also a person who just happens to have autism. Here's a picture of Haley last year at her 18th birthday party. And she said, she's been, she was so excited to celebrate with her friends, but nobody showed up to her party, so she was heartbroken and sad, but beyond that, she was hurt. And then instead of blasting everybody for dissing on her cousin, here's what she asked. She said, but can you please make this year's birthday incredible for her? I'd love to flood her mailbox with birthday cards from all over. Okay, her birthday was actually this year, July 2nd. Mine was July 1st, but hers July 2nd. <laughs> and so just in a couple weeks, Haley received like over 20,000 gifts and cards and letters from people because of a cousin that decided to use her words on social media to inspire and bring life. She could have blasted everybody. She could have talked about how horrible society is and how horrible people are and how friends aren't really friends, but instead she brought life. The thing is, when we bring life with our words, I think people all around us are so desperate, including ourselves, for hope and for positivity that we just leech onto it. The words we speak reveal where our hope is based. If you want to constantly talk about how this nation is screwed up and how regardless of who gets elected, the thing is just falling apart, you're probably putting too much hope in a person. If you're constantly talking about the pain you've been through and how someone hurts you and how you could never forgive them, you're probably putting way too much hope in your own pride. If, if you're constantly talking about yourself all the time and you have to constantly one-up other people in your stories, you're probably leaning your ladder against yourself without even realizing it. I love what the Apostle Paul writes, and we'll bring this time to a close right after I read this, this section of verses. But Paul's going through a difficult time, a challenging time, and here's what he writes. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I love those verses because Paul isn't putting on some fake grin. He's not pretending everything's okay. He's saying life is difficult right now. It's challenging, but we are not crushed. We are not abandoned. We have placed our hope in God. Placing our hope in God means when I know how God wants me to talk to my spouse, even if they don't deserve it, I still talk to them that way. When I know how God wants me to handle my resources, even when it's difficult, I still choose his way over my way. When I know how God wants me to pray for those in authority, but I disagree with those in authority, I still pray for those anyways. Because my ladder of hope is leaning on him, and it's not leaning on me. And it's not leaning in a relationship, and it's not leaning in a career. It is leaning on God. I'm telling you, if we can learn to speak hopeful words, we will make a difference in our immediate world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we do have a confidence that with all the things we see in the world, all the terrorism and the violence and the hurtful and painful things that go on, 
that we can know this is not the end of the story. There's more to this world than this. I pray that that hope we have would be evidenced by the words we speak. And regardless of the challenges or difficulties we go through, I pray help us to be aware of what you want us to do. Give us wisdom to know what we're supposed to do. But even more than that, give us the courage then to do it so that our ladder stays on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.